Okay. <clears throat> Good evening. Welcome to our Bible study this evening in the book of Job. We're in the book of Job, chapter 34. We have just a few seconds here before we begin for spiritual preparation. And uh, spiritual preparation is your opportunity for confession of sins and also to relax, to focus on the, uh, the text of Scripture, what God the Holy Spirit uh, will be communicating to us, to you, and uh, working in your own soul so that you'll have uh, a sense of how it should be applied in your life. Uh, I will uh, apply uh, periodically through the, uh, the message, but in reality, uh, as God the Holy Spirit works through the text and works in your life, works um, uh, with you during the message, you should be able to apply what is said to your life. So let's take a few seconds, closing our eyes and bowing our heads, uh, and after a few seconds, then I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we're thankful for uh, the Word of God. We're thankful for the book of Job. And while there are uh, difficult passages here, we know that God the Holy Spirit has recorded these passages, and He is teaching us. He is our helper. He is our teacher. We pray, Father, this evening as we uh, focus and uh, continue to work our way through this book that we'll have a clear understanding or certainly a better understanding of what the text is trying to teach uh, what God the Holy Spirit is teaching us uh, that we may learn more about you that we may learn Father about our spiritual lives and how we should uh, grow spiritually ourselves. And so, we ask for your blessing upon our message this evening. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Tonight, uh, we will review one more time where we are in the book of Job. And uh, because I think this is important. As a matter of fact, uh, I was uh, thinking of uh, very often how we can easily get lost in a book if uh, what we have studied uh, sort of slips uh, into the subconscious and we're, uh, we're moving forward, but we're really not sure where we've been. And so it's important not only to know where we're going, but also... Certainly to know where we've been. 
tonight, we are going to move uh, to uh, uh, Elihu's second speech, which is in chapter 34. Uh, last week, we were in chapter 33, and the uh, week before that, in chapter 32. Uh, chapter 32, uh, it was, has, uh, was the first part of one of his messages. And last week, uh, 33 was, uh, the, uh, let me just make a quick check here. Um, 33 was part two of that, uh, first speech. Now, let's, uh, review uh, the book of Job. And one of the things that we need to remember about the, the book of Job is that uh, there is much said that is true, uh, that is accurate, but much, much of it is used in the wrong way. And uh, we saw, first of all, the prologue, which was in the narrative, and it introduced us to Job, uh, to his life. Uh, also, we see the actions of God as he, uh, uh, the creator of the universe, the creator of uh, all creatures, and one of the creatures that is part of uh, the prologue is Satan. And the characters in the book of Job are unaware of these conversations between um, God and Satan. Uh, Had they been privy to it, they would have had a better understanding of what was happening in Job's life. We see the dialogues uh, in the book of Job that spanned Job 3 through 42. And we uh, outline those, Job's death wish in Job 3. And then we saw the first round of speeches. Job uh, introduces uh, the... these dialogues and and then the three friends Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar um, join in and we go uh, dialogue after dialogue Uh, the second round of speeches we see again the first speeches were Job 4 through 14 second round of speeches Job 15 through 21. The third round of speeches, Job 22 through 31. And then chapter 32 is where we encounter uh, Elihu, another uh, observer, we might say. And there's various ways to describe these, uh, the original three friends. Um, they're described as friends, but they really end up being critics. Uh, 
They are very judgmental. And we'll see that as, or we saw, as we went through those rounds, that their uh, criticisms, their uh, judgments of Job became more and more harsh. Uh, One of the reasons is because Job was denying, uh, arguing with them. But they still, again, when we get to round the third round, uh, they're uh, they're very vicious, we could say. Uh, so we've seen the first four, and then we started uh, Elihu's four speeches. Um, this is Job 32 through 37. Tonight we'll be in 34. We saw Elihu's first speech was Job 32 and 33, parts 1 and 2. And this was uh, God speaking. The first uh, part of uh, Job 32 really is an introduction of uh, Elihu. And then uh, uh, 33 was that God is not silent. Um, One of the... descriptions or one of the comments that Job uh, speaks is that he is trying to approach God uh, with the uh, problems that he's having, but God is not responding. And so he believes and states that God is silent. Um, Elihu Uh, contradicts that and says that, no, God speaks. And we studied that uh, in chapter 33 last week. Uh, The second speech is 34. And we're going to study tonight the fact that God is just. Uh, There uh, in the dialogues of the three friends and Job, that uh, that uh, comment is, um, we read that comment, that uh, Job is, uh, he knows that he was not uh, uh, unrighteous, that he was not living uh, a life of sinfulness. But his friends, uh, first of all, the first three friends believed that the reason that he was suffering is because he was living a sinful life. Um, uh, and therefore, in the um, commentaries back and forth, uh, Job uh, says that God is not just. He's not speaking to me, and uh, I'm being punished uh, in, in a manner that is uh, not appropriate. Well, what we find out from uh, the the prologue is that he's not being punished. He's simply enduring a test. Uh, And this is uh, something that we need to uh, understand in our lives. Uh, There are times when uh, we are uh, facing adversity and we manage to get ourselves at odds with God. 
But we have to remember that no matter what is happening in our lives, God loves us. The third speech that Elihu will, um, which is uh, recorded for Elihu, is Job 35, which we'll have next week, and that is that God is sovereign. We'll work on that next week. And then his fourth speech, Job 36 through 37, uh, part one and part two, um, as we come to the end of these speeches, because 38 is when God does speak. He speaks um, to the, the parties that are there, but particularly to Job. So we have God's two speeches and Job's uh, replies, Job 38, 1 through 42, 6. All right. Now, tonight, uh, back to Job's four speeches. Uh, we've seen his first speech, part one and two. Tonight, we're seeing Job's second, uh, Elihu's first speech. Uh, tonight, Elihu's second speech, 34, God is just. And this is going to be my breakdown of that. We're going to see five parts in this this chapter. We're going from uh, verse 1 to verse 37. I think we can do this uh, uh, fairly clearly and uh, quickly. 37 verses will take us a little while. But... First of all, Elihu requests that his elders hear him. And the elders here are going to be the three, what we would probably call, the three older friends. Secondly, Elihu denounces Job's claim that God was unjust. The first point is Job 34, 1 through 4. The second point, that Elihu denounces God's claim that uh, God was unjust in verses 5 through 9. And then the third point under Elihu's second speech is Elihu defends God's justice and impartiality, verses 10 through 20. Point four, Elihu discusses the punishment of the wicked verses 21 through 30. And then finally, point five, Elihu's indictment of Job's rebellion, verses 31 through 37. Uh, The word rebellion there might seem to be uh, a little strong, but it happens to be the word that is translated in verse 37 when we arrive there. And so... I thought that would be uh, an appropriate word. All right. First of all, chapter 34. Chapter 34, we begin with Elihu. There, You might think that there would be a break between his first speech and his second one. But Job doesn't respond. Job does not speak. And therefore, whether Elihu uh, paused 
to allow Job to speak or any one of the three older friends. Uh, we're, we're not really told, but Elihu may, again, and I think he possibly could have paused. He now, in uh, chapter 34, he continues. Uh, what we see here is Elihu's further answer. Uh, he will uh, really, if, as you read through the chapter, it appears that verses 1 through 15 are addresses are addressed more towards the three older friends and then verse 16 through 37 is addressed more to Job but uh, I wanted to break the uh, uh, the, the chapter into uh, smaller parts okay uh, let's read the uh, the first part here. Elihu's uh, Elihu requests that his elders hear him, verses one through four. Elihu further answered and said, "Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge, for the ear tests, examines words, and the palate." The mouth tastes food. Let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. All right. First of all, uh, the speech of Elihu focuses, this speech focuses on uh, defending God. Uh, he says, hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. So Elihu begins this speech by addressing uh, the three older friends. Another word I like that's probably more descriptive, uh, the, more, the three older agitators. Uh, so, uh, and th- these are the Eliphaz, the Bildad, and uh, Zophar. Uh, give ear means uh, hear my words. Uh, give ear to me simply means another way of saying hear. Hear what I have to say. Um, verse 3, for the ear tests. Uh, this is another way of saying when we hear something, we evaluate it. Uh, so another word here might be examine. Uh, we examine words uh, as we hear them, uh, uh, for the ear tests, it examines words as the palate uh, tastes food. Um, the, the sense for the, the translation palate, and I think uh, almost every English translation uh, does translate this palate, but it, uh, I think the word as a whole means the mouth. Uh, can be the tongue, can be uh, the uh, the palate. Uh, so there's a sense here that the mouth is the one that tastes the food. Uh, uh, verse four: Let us choose, and the word here for choosing has the sense 
to uh, select, be careful in our examination. So let us uh, select, maybe a better word here, uh, justice for ourselves. And the justice, the word for justice here, uh, has the sense of what is right. Uh, let us choose, let us select what is correct, what is right uh, for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. And uh, the word here for good, tov, is what I would call a rather bland uh, word. It can be used for many different uh, in many different contexts here. But let us know among ourselves what is good, what is right, what is just, I think is uh, the sense of the way that word should be used. Now, uh, what we see here in these four verses is that Elihu again asks his elders because he asked them at the beginning of his first speech. So he asks them whom he respects to listen to him to hear what he has to say. And he'll uh, say that as he proceeds. And I think that what Elihu is really doing here is he is, to a certain extent, uh, patronizing them. He's asking them to listen. Uh, and I'll address that a little bit later. So Elihu uh, picked up Job's words um, when he referred to the need for the debaters to test the accuracy of his words uh, as the tongue can uh, discern the quality of food. Uh, they would need to decide the right thing about Job's case. Now, uh, one of the things that we uh, understand here is that Elihu is uh, placing himself, putting himself in the position of judge, of a judge, uh, of a critic for uh, Job's life. Uh, and this is probably the last thing that, got, uh, that uh, Job needs, is one more judge. Now, Elihu is not going to be anywhere near as critical, and as a matter of fact, he has a different approach. He doesn't believe that uh, Job is uh, suffering just because he sinned, but he does, he is critical of Job because in his suffering, he believes that uh, Job is sinning. And that is, that can be true, uh, certainly can be true with us as well, but he will continue to uh, be critical of Job. Now, secondly here, we're going to see uh, that Elihu denounces Job's claim that God was unjust, verses 5 through 9. Verses uh, 5 through 9, For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is in, uh, incurable though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks scorn like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men? 
For he has said, it profits a man, it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Alright. Now, in verses 5 through 6, Elihu quotes Job. Uh, and again, he is speaking to the three older friends, these uh, previous agitators. Verse 5. For Job has said, and now we have a quote, I am righteous. I think a better translation, and uh, the word here is righteous, but I think a better translation for us in the context to understand what has happened and where we're going is innocence. Uh, I am innocent, is what Job says. But God has taken away, he has turned away my justice. And this is our our word again for justice. It's the word mishpat. Uh, it's used several times in this chapter and uh, in several other chapters. But it's what is right. Uh, so taking away my justice doesn't uh, quite uh, sound proper here. And I think, uh, but God has taken away what is right, what is correct. Um, and then he continues, Job continues, should I lie concerning my mispot, again, my justice, but here it is, what is right? Should I lie concerning my right, what I've done, how I've lived my life, my conduct? My wound is incurable. Um, my wound here means uh, his affliction, uh, what he is enduring, Though I am without transgression, I think uh, we could probably translate this. Should I lie about what is true? Uh, should I lie about the fact that I'm not wicked? Uh, I'm innocent in that regard. Should I lie about what is true? My injury is fatal. It's incurable. Even though I'm innocent. Innocent. So uh, he's he's saying that uh, though I am without transgression, uh, I am innocent. Verse seven. Now, <clears throat> Elihu breaks away from the quotation, and he says, "What man? Uh, what man is like Job?" In other words, another way of saying that. Uh, is there anyone like Job? Is there anyone like Job who drinks scorn, uh, derision, uh, scoffing like water? Um, the phrase here, drinking like water, means the person enjoys it. Uh, it's uh, another way of saying it's refreshing. Um, but I think enjoying here helps us. Uh, it takes pleasure. Uh, in doing something, to drink uh, like water. Uh, Elihu makes uh, a rather uh, harsh remark towards Job. Job is questioning God's actions, but scorn seems excessive. Elihu is probably overstating the situation so as to gain favor of the older three, because they were very critical. Of Job, verse eight, who again speaking of of 
someone who was like Job, who goes in company with workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men. And the implication here is that this is this is Job. Uh, he keeps company with evildoers. He associates with the wicked. Uh, verse 9, For he, Job, we could say, has said, It profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Now, this is the first time that Elihu uh, really uh, goes beyond what is probably uh, understandable here. He misquotes Job with this verse. Yes, Job said this quote, it prophesies a man nothing that he should delight in God. And we'll turn back to verses, uh, to chapter 21. But, uh, he's, uh, but what he said was a remark describing the wicked. In uh, chapter 21, verse 15, Job denies that that's who he was. So let's turn, hold your finger here in 34, and turn back to 21, chapter 21. Chapter 1, and if we were to begin chapter 21... Uh, we would see that uh, Job is this uh, this speech, this discourse that he has, is directed towards the wicked. And when we arrive, um, verse fourteen, yet they say to God, "Depart from us! Uh, this is the wicked, for we do not <clears throat> desire the knowledge of your ways." They don't, uh, they reject God's word and his uh, direction. Verse 15, who is the Almighty that we should serve him? This is the wicked, that's what they say. And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Indeed, their prosperity is not in their hand. And then he says, that was the first part, first colon of verse 16, the second colon, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. So, yes, Job said this, but uh, Elihu is misquoting him. Yes, Job is frustrated with God and angry with his situation, but to take a line completely out of context is uh, is evil. It's vile. Taking an encouragement approach or keeping his mouth shut, Elihu, would have avoided this situation. So uh, he takes uh, Job, what Job has said, and he misapplies it. All right, that was verse nine. So verse ten. Uh, begins Elihu's Elihu defends God's justice and impartiality verses 10 through 20 therefore therefore listen to me you men of understanding and uh, he's speaking to the uh, 
three older men. Therefore, listen to me, Elihu, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness, uh, something that is wrong, we could say. And from the Almighty to commit iniquity, verse 11. For he repays man according to his work and makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth? Question. Or who appointed him over the whole world? If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, All flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. Verse 16. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to the sound of my words. And I think at that point, uh, Job is now turning more towards Job. Should one who hates justice govern? Want to determine who this is. Will you condemn him who is most just? Is it fitting, verse 18, to say to a king, you are worthless, and to nobles, you are wicked? Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment, they die in the middle of the night, The people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away without a hand. Now, uh, reading that, just reading it, and I remember reading this myself several times, I thought to myself, hmm, not certain what's happening here, what's being said. Uh, But we will pull this, merge it, bring the unity, I think, uh, more unity to it. Verse 10, again, this is uh, Elihu's defense of God's justice and impartiality. And by the way, those are uh, uh, understandable, proper, accurate characteristics of God. But we simply need to be careful how we uh apply them to various certain certain situations. And uh, Elihu applies them rather loosely. Therefore, listen to me, Elihu says, you men of understanding, uh, speaking not only to the three older men now, but probably turn, uh, excuse me, He's still turning, he's still talking to the uh, three older men here. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. Uh, the, uh, he says, you men of understanding, the actual translation there is the men of heart. Uh, and when we use that phrase very often uh, in the Old Testament, particularly the heart, we're talking about knowledge or understanding it's the uh, the seat of the soul the heart we would say uh, so he says therefore listen to me you men of understanding 
far be it from God to do wickedness. And then in the second part here we have, and we have an ellipsis, far be it from Almighty to commit uh, iniquity. Uh, Job had used this phrase, far be it from me, in chapter 27, verse 5. And now I think uh, Elihu mimics Job in this verse. And he probably says it with sarcasm. Uh, verse 11, For he, God, repays man according to his works, to his deeds, may uh, fit a little better, and make man to find, to attain a reward. Uh, and this reward could be either uh, positive or negative, according to his way, according to his conduct, uh, what he has done. Uh, and I think the inference here is to Job, to his suffering. Uh, the text means that God will cause a man to find or receive the consequences of his actions. Verse 12, Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. And here's our word, mishpat, again, Hebrew word, and it means what is right. Surely God will never do what is wrong, what is wicked, what is evil, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. In other, in other words, he will not pervert what is right. Uh, as Elihu here speaks, first he is gaining, uh, I think, the confidence. He is uh, trying, to, trying to gain the confidence and the favor, maybe another word we could use, of the three older men. But he's also, uh, at the same time, rebuking Job. Verse 13. Who gave, and this now is a question that Elihu is asking, and in asking the question, he's going to establish uh, a principle, a foundation for from which he will continue to argue. Who gave, who entrusted, we should say possibly, him charge over the earth. Well, the him should be in uppercase H because it's God. He's referring to God. Who gave him, God, charge over the earth? Or who appointed or set him over the whole world? So in verse 13, there are two rhetorical questions that require uh Negative answers. Uh, who gave him, God, charge over the earth? Well, no one did. God is simply the sovereign God of the earth. Or who appointed him? Who established him over the whole world? Well, no one did. So, no one gives God charge over the earth, and no one has placed him over the earth. God is sovereign over the earth. In verse 14, Elihu continues, 
If he, God, should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath. So what he's saying here is that God is not only in control, but God is the one who is truly um, the sovereign of the entire world. Now, at first, this might sound, when we come to the idea that uh, he should gather to himself his spirit and, and breath, if we don't capitalize uh, the H here and make this uh, God, uh, it might sound like uh, as if someone is gathering or preparing himself for breathing, for some taking his breath. Uh, but this is a reference to God, who is the origin of all life and breath. And I think that's what the word spirit here. Uh, it's not uh, speaking specifically of God the Holy Spirit, but it is the life that is given uh, to mankind. Uh, Elihu is describing the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God, and in doing so, describes the justness of God. He is God. He's in control. What he does is just, we could say. Since God controls all breath and life on earth, in verse 15, Elihu describes what would happen if God did remove the breath and life. All flesh, verse 15, would perish together and man would return to dust. I always like that. Uh, we come from dust. Again, God controls each heartbeat and each breath. Life. Modern secular uh, medicine or science does not know what causes the spark that controls, regulates, or triggers heartbeats and breaths. If it stopped, life would stop. All life would perish, and the human bodies and the human bodies that die would decompose into dirt and would be blown around like dust. But God has demonstrated that his character is not going to destroy all human life. In fact, we have a promise in Genesis 9 that God will not destroy the earth and life. He will not destroy the earth and he won't destroy the life on earth by a, by a, a flood. Again, here, Elihu is accurately regarding uh, who God is, but he is stating these principles uh, as he critiques Job. Verse 16, if you have understanding, hear this, listen to the sound of my words. And here I think, as I said, as we read through this, I think he switches to now... Uh, his view is now changed to Job. If you have understanding, hear this. I listen, uh, listen to the sound of my words. So Elihu here is shifting his attention from the three older friends to Job. Verse 17. 
should one who hates justice uh, govern? Will you condemn him who has most righteousness or just or what is just? So what we have here is should one who hates, and this is a word that we've studied um, in the Old Testament. Sane is the Hebrew word, and uh, it generally does does not carry the sense of hate, but it's rejection. Here, I think it might be even uh, to ignore. Should one who ignores justice, and this is our word, uh, mishpat, uh, should he who ignores what is right govern? Um, and the answer, of course, here is going to be no. Will you condemn him, God, who is most righteous or who is most just? So Elihu establishes a general principle uh, with another rhetorical question. Should anyone govern who rejects who rejects what is right? No, uh, no, he should not. Therefore, the application, do you, do you declare guilty God who is supremely righteous? No, uh, you should not. But Elihu says Job had done this. Um, now, I think that Elihu, uh, while correct, is taking this a bit far. Uh, Elihu is not the one who is suffering. Job is. And Job is struggling with uh, the events in his life. But here is Elihu not encouraging him, not giving comfort. Uh, he instead is criticizing him. Verse 18. Is it fitting to say to a king, you are worthless? And, let's just fill in the ellipsis here, uh, is it fitting to nobles uh, to say, you are wicked? So again, Elihu uses two rhetorical questions to establish his point. Uh, the answer to both questions is no. For the general principle, it is not proper or respectable to tell a king he's worthless or a noble that he is wicked. But in verse 19, uh, we'll see a description uh, that is a contradiction because of the person being discussed. Uh, nine, or he's referring to God. Verse 19, Yet he, God, is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are, at the, they are all the work of his hands. But whether they're rich or whether they're poor, whether they are princes uh, or whether they're paupers, uh, they are the um, uh, the work, the creation of his hand. So mankind is partial, partial towards those who have achieved levels of authority or positions of success. But God is the one who created every human. Uh, therefore, he is not bound by human standards, meaning respect. Uh, verse 20. Uh, one last comment here. It appears that Elihu is implying that if it is not proper in general to rebuke kings, uh, 
then certainly it is not proper for Job to be critical of God. Verse 20. In a moment, they, and this could be addressed to the mighty or to the rich or even to the poor, in a moment, uh, they die. In the middle of the night, uh, the people are shaken. Now, I'm going to quickly address this uh, in the middle of the night. It has the sense of being abrupt. The people are shaken. Uh, they're agitated and pass away. Uh, some, something happens in their life. Their life uh, comes to an end, we could say. The mighty are taken away without a hand. Uh, without a hand. Uh, hand is often a sense of power. Uh, and so uh, this means uh, they're taken away without, uh, without any force needing to be taken. Uh, the mighty are taken away without a hand. Why? Uh, or how does that happen? God doesn't need to use force. Uh, the verse here, verse 20, emphasizes the suddenness of the departure. That's what in the middle of the night. Uh, we, we, some people would say that this is literal, uh, that uh, more people die at night than they do during the day. Uh, I think you'd probably have to prove that to me. Uh, but uh, I think this is more of a figure of speech. Uh, what he's saying is that it happens suddenly. It happens abruptly. Uh, in the middle of the night. Uh, at a time, uh, in an unexpected time. Um, the principle is that God can remove life from anyone in an instant. The pronoun they and the word people in context relates possibly to the upper class, but it's true. Uh, of the poor as well. Uh, death is significant to anyone, but to the ruling class and the wealthy, uh, it may be more of a traumatic event. God removes the mighty effortlessly. God simply removes their breath and their lives. So, as we move to uh, our fourth point, Elihu his discussion of punishment of the wicked. And now we are going to read verses 21 through 30. Verse 21. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. He, of course, is God. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For uh, he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty men without inquiry and sets others in their place. Therefore he knows their work, their deeds. He overthrows them in the night. I think another figure of speech. And they are crushed. He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others, because they turn back from him and would not consider any of his ways, so that they cause the cry of the poor 
to come to him, for he hears the cry of the afflicted. When he gives quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hides his face, who then can see him? Whether it is against a nation or a man alone. Whether it is against a nation or a man alone. Verse 30. That the hypocrite should not reign, lest the, uh, the people be ensnared. All right. Uh, verse 21. Verse 21. For he, God, his eyes are are on the ways of man, and he, God, sees all his steps. Uh, Job, this is sort of what Elihu is saying. Uh, God knows. God knows what's going on. So God is fully aware of the conduct of men, whether righteous or whether bad. God does not have eyes, as we think of them, but the anthropomorphism represents the omniscience of God. Uh, and here we probably have another inference uh, uh, is jo- uh, to Job's claim of innocence. Uh, Job claims that he is innocent, but uh, God knows. God is fully aware uh, of whether he is uh whether he is uh, evil or not, uh, whether he has sinned or not. Now, the interesting thing here is the inference uh, is to Job, but Job is righteous. He is, he is innocent. Uh, so, and we'll see this later, uh, but God says to him, but you still have no right to question the righteousness of God. Verse 22, There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. So there's no darkness and there's no, uh, the translation here, shadow of death really should be translated deep darkness. So there is no darkness nor deep darkness. Interesting. Uh, where evildoers can hide themselves. So man thinks that he can conceal his actions, possibly in the dark or in deep shadows. But God knows every step taken by man. Verse 23, for he, God, need not further consider a man. Uh, The word here for consider could also be investigate a man. Uh, God knows he doesn't need to investigate. So we uh, need not further consider a man uh, that he should go before God in judgment. So God's thorough knowledge here of all that man does means he does not need to consider, uh, uh, deliberate, or find additional facts. Evildoers may go directly to God's judgment because God already has the facts. Job is asking for God's judicial action, but Elihu here is implying that what is happening in Job's life is an indication of the judicial action of God. God does not need to evaluate any case or reassess a previous decision. No appeal is needed. 
Verse 24, he, God, breaks. Another word here is shatters. In pieces, mighty men without inquiry and sets others in their place. Uh, he shatters uh, the mighty without investigation and he places others in, his, uh, in their place. The others here are... Uh, uh, are better and worthier uh, r- rulers. They are placed in the, uh, uh, they are set in the place of those whom God removes. Uh, we learn this principle in Daniel 2.21, that God raises kings and he removes them. And that's what this principle is. God can remove uh, the rulers, the mighty men, and he can place others in their stead. Verse 25. Therefore he, God, knows their, uh, knows their, the evil workers, uh, evildoers' works, their deeds. He, God, overthrows them in the night, and they are crushed. So, God is fully aware of what the evildoers, uh, are doing. Their activities are described as being done at night, which might be uh, their practices that they operate at night. But again, I think this means abruptly. Uh, They are uh, in the midst of their evil actions. God destroys them. Verse 26, he, God, strikes them as wicked men uh, or for their wickedness in the open sight of others. Uh, while the evil uh, individuals are trying to operate at night, God destroys them, uh, and it's open to all. So evil men generally try to act covertly, but God knows of their actions and punishes them openly. Verse 27 explains why God strikes the evil ones. Verse 27, because they, evildoers, turn back or turn aside from following him, I think we could say here, uh, and would not consider any of his ways, his directions, his guide, uh, his uh, what he wants them, how they are to uh, conduct their lives. Verse 28, so that they, uh, the evildoers, uh, cause the cry of the poor, the oppressed, to come to him, uh, the, the oppressed uh, come to God uh, for or so that he, God, hears the cry of the afflicted, those who are being tormented. So once more, Elihu offers two uh, rhetorical questions with answers that can be answered uh, no one. Verse 29, when he... God gives peace, uh, is how I'm going to translate this, uh, when he, God, gives quietness or peace to the oppressed, who then can make trouble? Who can uh, disrupt this peace? No one. And when he, God, hides his face, who then can see him? Uh, the answer to the question is no one. Uh, whether it is against a nation or a man alone. Now, Elihu says that if God brings peace, 
then who can disturb, uh, uh, disturb that peace? When God hides his face, and when God is said to hide his face, that throughout the, uh, the Old Testament is a figure of speech for withholding his favor, uh, his blessing. So uh, who then can make him return the blessing or the favor? And the answer is uh, he cannot. Verse 30 should bring, uh, should, uh, should uh, begin with therefore. Therefore, that the hypocrite should not reign, lest the people be, ens- be ensnared. And so as he concludes this paragraph, this point, we see that uh, those who are hypocrites are, in fact, uh, evildoers. Uh, sh- they should not reign, um, because if they do, uh, the people are going to fall into a snare. Now, the last point here, the last paragraph, is Elihu's indictment of Job's rebellion, verses 31 through 37. Let's quickly move through this. Uh, verse 31. For has anyone said to God, and this is a quote, I have borne uh, chastening, I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. End of quote. Verse 33. Should he repay it according to you, to your terms, just because you disavow it, you must choose and not I. uh, Just because you disavow it, uh, should he repay it according to your terms, just because you disavow it, you must choose and not I. Therefore speak what you know. Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. Oh, that Job were uh, tried to the utmost, to the limit, because his answers are like those of wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. All right, I think we can digest this quickly. Verse 31, For has anyone said to God, and this is the quotation, I have borne punishment. I will offend. I will sin no more. So Elihu, again, adds, asks another rhetorical quest, uh, question. But he asks from his own point of view. The intent is that no one would have the temerity to say to God that he had endured punishment and will no longer act wrongly anymore. Another translation is, I am guilty, but will offend no more. Uh, The second part of this, 32, teach me what I do not see, what I do not understand. If I have done iniquity, if I have done wrong, I will do it no more. So Elihu says that the person who has endured punishment does not understand why. Therefore, the person says, tell me what I did wrong, uh, and I won't do it again. Uh, The person is saying, 
that this would be uh, this would be just. Uh, verse uh, 33. Should he, God, uh, re- repay or recompense it according to you to your terms or to suit you? Uh, just because you disavowed, just because you denied, just because you rejected. You, Job, must choose or decide, and not me, not I. Um, Elihu says, therefore speak, declare what you know. So Elihu here demands that Job admit what he knows or what he's thinking. Should God after his judgments towards Job, uh, uh, should uh, God alter his judgments towards Job to suit Job just because Job disavows any wrongdoing? That's what verse 33 is saying. Elihu presses Job to divulge his thoughts. This is, I think, a mean and unkind approach. Elihu, Elihu places himself as a critic and judge, and he is neither. Verse 34, men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me say. So Elihu says that what he's about to say is on a level of the men of wisdom. Of course, this is a debating technique akin to saying everyone agrees. Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me say, say this. Uh, And it's fabricated. Elihu is saying that anyone with any brains would agree with him. Verse 35 provides what Elihu declares, that Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. We could say without prudence, without understanding. So Elihu is saying that Job speaks without knowledge or intelligence to say that God is unjust. Elihu states that Job's words lack insight. And then verses 36 and 37. Oh, that Job were or would be tried or punished to the utmost, to the limit, because his answers are like those of wicked men. Uh, uh, Elihu is saying that his desire that Job would be tested or punished, trial by affliction, we might say, to the limit, because he has accused God of being unjust. And then 37, for he, Job, adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands in our midst and multiplies his words against God. So in our midst, he claps his hands. And that's a sense of uh, being uh, uh, irrespect, uh, not being respectful, uh, being scornful, clapping the hands. So as we finish this chapter, um, Many of the godly principles that Elihu states are true, and his application is better than the three older men, but uh, he has no right 
to judge Job. Job is struggling with his relationship with God. And those struggles are between God and himself, the individual. Belittling or humiliating Job is not the godly approach. Elihu does not have the facts of Job's life. In some cases, embellishes Job's remarks and represents himself as wise, knowledgeable, and having the answers. Yes, God is just, and Job is wrong to question that fact. But Elihu must approach Job with encouragement and comfort and not chastisement. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for uh, these passages, and we're thankful for the principles that we find here. Um, But our application is that, yes, while uh, Job is questioning what's happening in his life, uh, criticism and, and being judgmental is not the answer. Uh, Job will come to the correct answer as uh, you work in his life. And uh, driving him with criticism is not, uh, is not appropriate. So, Father, we ask that we will pl- uh, apply this in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.